This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiaoyi. It's our Doctor in the House segment and uh, it, it's the eve of Chinese New Year yes. and I'm surprised that my co-host, Dr. George <laughs> Lee, is in the studio with me. How are you, George? Well, I'm getting ready to run away as soon as the show finishes <laughs> and then got to go do some cookings, right? Yes, That's right. for the reunion dinner. What about yourself? Um, you know, it's a, going to be a quiet Chinese New oh. Year in KL, um, but you know, it's because a nice time with family. Everyone has left the city. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It'll be nice and quiet in town. That's right. But we have got a very interesting topic. So for those of you who are en route to rush to your reunion dinner, why don't you join us for this conversation? That's right. Um, it, it's a, perhaps may seem um, a, bit a little... <laughs> we were wondering, you know, if some people may find this pantang, but I thought it was so important. Indeed. Um, World Cancer Day was on the 4th of February. Yes. And we always try to commemorate it on our show. Show. And um, because cancer is such a life-altering diagnosis for the people involved and for their loved ones, you know, cancer isn't just a physical condition. It brings with it a lot of emotional and psychological changes as well. And I can only imagine that somebody diagnosed with cancer would be overwhelmed by so many things types of thoughts and feelings and emotions mm-hmm. as they go through, you know, coming to terms with their diagnosis and going through the treatments. And um, it may be quite a lonely journey that those around them may not be able to understand. And this would be where the role of cancer support or patient support groups can come in. So today we would like to explore the role of cancer support groups in Fostering shared experiences, yes. providing mutual encouragement and emotional support yeah. um, for you know, those I going think through Indeed, this. that's absolutely true. I think, you know, sometimes we look at cancer as a, you know, C equal D, cancer equal death. But we don't see all the bright side of all the successes, how uh, far, uh, you know, medicine has come along. Most importantly, we need to reduce that stigma. You know, interestingly, we talk about Chinese New Year and also cancer. Remember, a few years ago, Li Chen Long was diagnosed with prostate cancer and he deliberately chose Chinese New Year to have his operation mm. on the second day of Chinese New Year. I think that, number one, just brings down the taboo. And number two, it just shows us that there's hope. And look at him, you know, so many years down the line. And that is a sort of like spirit we want. And we don't want, we want to see the bright side of things, the happy side of cancer recovery. And then that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And two people in the studio with us who are continuing to you know bust these taboos and um, be very open about their experiences as well Kim Lim the president of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association of Malaysia and Chu Mei Zi the youth ambassador for National Cancer Society of Malaysia and she also founded the NCSM's Young Cancer Survivors Group mm. Kim and Mei Zi thank you so much for joining us today how are the both of you very great thank you so much Ae Yes, thank you so much, Shelly, for having us here. And also, Dr. George, heard a lot about the both of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Kim, could you very briefly introduce BCWA and specifically what the organisation does in terms of offering peer support? So, Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia, in B- short, BCWA, was founded in 1986. Mm. So, it's our 42nd year now. Wow. <laughs> so, we work on our three pillars, which is uh, education, psychosocial support and recovery. 
We are very proud to say that we have two mobile clinics with us, mm -hmm. which is called Murni, which means mobile unit reaching nationwide with information. Uh -huh. So what this mobile unit actually does is it provides education and clinical breast examination to the public, right. to the women out there. So besides that, to the topic that we are talking about today, we provide psychosocial support to individuals that are affected by breast cancer. Yes. Not only that, to their caregivers and also family. Wow. So this is in short what we do. It's a lot. Yes, there's a lot more actually. <laughs> yeah. But the psychosocial support, is it provided by professionals or are they made up of, I mean, who makes up BCWA, right? So this is a very interesting question. So how we function as the survivor itself goes through a training under Reach to Recovery International. Yes. We go through a three days training, which we have our trainer and doctors involved. Mm -hmm. So once you are certified by this uh, Reach to Recovery certification, right? So you will be going through a physical training with a senior to mm -hmm. see how you actually cope with your emotional when you see your patients. Mm -hmm. Because we cover both uh, the private and public sector mm -hmm. hospitals. So you'll see different kind of patients. Yeah. So it's so interesting is because all the psychosocial support are from our breast cancer survivor volunteers itself. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Who better to actually put you, uh, you know, go through the actual process and the journey itself than someone, an individual who has actually been through it themselves mm. and also has the benefit of structured training to make sure that it's done properly, right? Very true, Dr. George. Yeah. Yeah. So we find that, you know, when someone actually goes to the journey of breast cancer, they understand another patient even without speaking. Yes. Because we know that, you know, the journey that we went through, it wasn't easy, but there's life after breast cancer. Yeah. And this is the hope that we want to give to the patients out there. You know, shall we, no matter how many times we say doctors are uh, empathic, we can never be empathic enough whenever we are in that person's shoes. And then that really brings us to, you know, yeah. our next guest to talk about it, right? Yeah, Maisie, tell us about NCSM and specifically the different... I know there are several um, support groups under NCSM and of course the young adults one. So we have several support groups. Um, we actually have a prostate cancer support group, right. a caregiver support group, the young cancer survivor support group and Ping Unity which consists previously of breast cancer but now it uh, encompasses the women's cancers mm. um, and they consist more of the elderly support I mean, cancer survivors. Right. And then we, um, in terms of NCSM, we offer a lot of services, including a children's home. So children's home meaning children with cancer. So a lot of these people actually come from outstation. They don't mm. have the money to pay for hotels. So they stay at the children's home. We provide shelter so they can commute to the hospital, which is HKL, which is closer to them yeah. from NCSM. So that is one of the things that NCSM offers. We also have a clinic and uh, we provide some medical services as well. And uh, we also give training for like uh, to caregivers uh, to support their patients mm. or people who they are caregiving to. So these are just some of the services that are offered by NCSM. Mm. And they've been around, been around for many years. Well. Coming down to the Young Cancer Survivors Group, We've been around for just, le I mean, definitely less than 10 years. So it's been about 2017 till now. So seven years. Right. Exactly. Because um, I helped found it mm -hmm. because one of the main reasons was when I, I had cancer at the age of 27. 
colorectal oh, cancer. I'm sorry I, to hear that. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, here now. Well, that's you right. See? And then basically <laughs> yeah. giving a beacon of hope to many survivors oh, like, know. You know, at young age. Because the first thing I'm sure came across your mind was like, why me? Why at this Not age? Not at right? all. Right. I, I didn't question why me. I never mm-hmm. had that thought until today. Um, it was more of like, what just happened? Right. Like, it was more of a shock because I have no family history of cancer and um, clearly no one talks about cancer my age, right? Of course not. So when I found out what I had, um, it, was, it came as a shock to myself, my family members. But what struck the court for me was while I was going through um, surgeries and while wearing a colostomy bag, I felt truly alone during the journey. No one to talk to. Mm. I tried to find peers my age to talk to because wearing the bag was kind of like a nuisance and it was, I mean, it made me have low self-esteem because I didn't know how to deal with it Uh, and I I couldn't wear clothes I used to wear. So the other thing was that, um, so I started looking for support groups in the States because that was where I studied for six years and mm. I actually just came back from the States that time. Right. So I I found support, support groups on Facebook, followed Instagram pages and that actually gave me the support I needed in a way because I found humour in it. They have humour, which I understood and it was vice versa. So I joined the Cologne Cancer Society in the States but not, I mean, that time I didn't know anything about it in Malaysia. So that was the driving reason why I founded the Young Cancer Survivors Group under under the auspices of the National Cancer Society. Yeah. I'm curious if you could just share a little bit more, Maisie. What's different in talking to, let's say, um, a colorectal cancer survivor in their 50s or 60s compared to somebody in their 20s? What did you find that just um, was different in your experience? So I love that question because when... Uh, my friend who was so kind, she found someone who had a colostomy bag. She was a nun and she was 70-something. But I couldn't relate to her mm. because at that point, I was at the peak of my career. Uh, I was I just came back from the States, you know, getting my PhD. And I just passed my dissertation. So everything was going for me. Mm-hmm. And then I have to put my life on hold. All of a sudden, because I had cancer. And I guess the worst part is, I don't want to delve into this, but... It came as a shock because financially, I I mean, it was really expensive. Yeah. I mean, that is the truth, right? That's right. And I'll be, I'll be truthful with you, for those of you who are listening, a lot of the young cancer survivors in my group actually don't have insurance. Mm. So that is the part where we are very different because we are at the point of life where we probably just uh, started college, some of us, or uh, graduated from university, finding their first job. Mm. We are at the like either not peak of our career but we are getting there you know we are starting out in life it's such an exciting journey Mm. Uh, we are still partying you know (laughs) I mean jokes aside you're living your life yeah Yeah. 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 and all of a sudden we have cancer and from that peak of like partying hard uh, working hard or even studying hard suddenly you have to deal with what I have to pay for like let's say 100 over 1000 for this surgery or I have to deal with chemotherapy or or the fact that I might 
not have many years to live. Mm. So that is the stark difference between someone in like their 20s versus someone in their 50s who are already very stable in their career or maybe they're going to retire. So there is a difference between the Pink Unity group and our group. Yes. We hardly meet. Yes. The Pink Unity, we, I always joke, I always say, you guys meet every day. I wish we can even meet once a month, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, and Kim, um, you know, Maisie has talked as part of uh, talking about uh, the importance of uh, providing support for young adults. She's talked about her own journey in uh, sort of hearing that news initially as well. What about for you when you were first diagnosed? What was your personal journey and what did you struggle with? I can truly relate to what Maisie actually said. So when I was diagnosed, I just turned 39. I was at the peak of my career in the senior senior management role. Mm -hmm. But it was COVID period at year 2020. Mm -hmm. Right before I was diagnosed, I was let go of my job. And a few months down the road, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. At that point, it was really shocking because, you know, you are without a job. Okay, you have commitments to pay. It was MCO. Mm-hmm. And here you are diagnosed with breast cancer. So what happened after that? You know, um, it was quite difficult to go to the hospital. Okay? Yes. And like what Maisie said, financial. Without the job, the first thing I thought was my commitment, mm-hmm. the treatment, my insurance. How much do I have? Mm-hmm. And luckily that I have insurance, I went to the private sector. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had to go through 16 chemo, 20 radio oh. operations and whatnot. And the whole treatment was for seven months. Mm-hmm. It caused a bomb. Mm. And in between the treatment, you know, my uh, brother passed away mm-hmm. and he was a single father. And I was, you know, living my life and everything was planned. I was happy, you mm-hmm. know, even with cancer, I could still sustain. But with the new responsibility of this so family to take care of my mom, my elderly mm-hmm. mom, mm-hmm. and also my nephew, it became too much. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was very fortunate because when I woke up from my surgery, a BCWA volunteer was there. Right. And, you know, after surgery, the first thing I thought of, am I going to leave? What is cancer really like? Mm-hmm. I have no family history of breast cancer. I've never met a person with breast cancer. Not to say that anyone who survived breast cancer, I have no friends with cancer. Mm. And she was there, you know, in front of me, looking like someone very normal. Mm-hmm. And I look at her and the first thing I ask her, are you sure you are a breast cancer survivor? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yes, I am a long-time breast cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought that, you know, having breast cancer wasn't that bad, you know. She was my hope. Mm -hmm. So my journey from, you know, someone that actually went through a lot, a lot of difficulty, financial, family and everything. But with the right support of my family, um, my relatives, you know, my friends and from BCWA peer support, you know, I managed to climb up from my lowest point in life Mm -hmm. where I thought, why do I have to have cancer now? You know, why now? Mm -hmm. Why when I'm jobless, I have to take care of everything why now? Mm. But because of the right support that I have, you know, I could rise up and became came where I am now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Michelle, you know, uh, one of the things that, um, um, you know, uh, obviously Kim mentioned is that looking at somebody, an individual, and say, are you sure you got cancer? You know, for those listeners out there, you can't see these two wonderful ladies here. But seriously, the first thing that comes across your mind is surely not that they live through that horrible period of life and come out really kind of like a much higher and greater heights in their lives, really. Mm. Let's go for a quick break mm-hmm. and we will come back to continue the conversation with these two wonderful women. Uh, Kim Lim, President of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia and Chu Mezi, Youth Ambassador for the National Cancer Society of Malaysia and founder of NCSM's Young Cancer Survivors Group. We are discussing the important role of cancer support groups in conjunction with World Cancer Day that just um, happened on the 4th of February. So we'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist in the studio with me. Today, we are discussing the role of cancer support groups. And we've got two women who um, embody not only that sort of personal journey of surviving cancer, but have taken on this uh, responsibility and giving back uh, in terms of uh, the support that they received when uh, they were first diagnosed and how they are now giving back to other cancer patients. Chu Meizi, Youth Ambassador for the National Cancer Society of Malaysia and Kim Lim, President of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia. So, you know, we've heard about very briefly the kinds of services that each of your organisations provide with peer support being a big part of it. But let's try and understand what actually happens um, in that peer support that you give as well as receive. Perhaps from your personal experience first, um, Maisie, this is an interesting one because there wasn't a young adult survivors group um, that was like um, the experience Kim had, right? Somebody who was there when she woke up from surgery. But Maisie, when you did manage to reach out, even if it was um, international, let's say, what was the value you found from that peer support? What did you get from it? What did they do for you? Okay, so for me, it was just trying to understand how to deal with this bag and what to wear. It's just the simplest things that mm. I did not have to think about. How Practical do, stuff. How do I hide the smell? Mm. Right. You know, I still, and I did not tell anyone I had cancer because it's a taboo mm-hmm. in Malaysia. Also, my auntie and uncles tell me, do not tell anyone. Right. So, um, I had to hide it and I had, I remember I had to go on a show, a TV show. I was like, what do I wear? In my mind, I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So, it was these simple things where I asked in like the community and they can reply me and then they can make jokes about it. Yeah. It's just the small things, jokes that I understood. They talked about toilet paper and I totally understood that mm-hmm. because after I rejoined my, um, I mean, rejoined my colon and my mm-hmm. rectum together, whatever bits that's left, um, I actually had to go to the toilet many, multiple times in a day. So the first year I was literally more at home than anywhere because mm. I needed a toilet to go to very quickly because mm. I had no control mm. over my b- bowels. Mm. So these are the things that I I just felt like gave me the, the support that I needed. It, they don't have to talk to me, but they as long as they answer my questions or they, they can say stuff that I understood, at least 
we can understand each other, you know? Right. Mm. Right. Because I cannot talk to my friends. My friends are all still so fashionable. And I'm like, I mean, what? I mean, they support me. But that's the extent of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But did you have questions about <clears throat> um, what comes next, um, anxieties and fears in terms of your mortality, things like that? So the thing about me is that I'm generally a very positive person. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we, we see many individuals who is in this uh, seat and actually say they, they went through an, a period of why me? And the first thing you say, absolutely not. I didn't ask myself, why me? Yeah. It's just like, bring it on. Let me challenge. Yeah. Let me deal with it, right? So I was like, uh, let's solve this problem. The problem was cancer, right? right? So for me, I was like, I'm a very positive person. So I didn't have, I mean, and I studied psychology. So I was doing my PhD in psychology. Uh -huh. I knew that depression and cancer was a 50% correlation. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm not going to get depression. Mm -hmm. I better be positive about this because... I, and death was never on my list. My list was, what am I going to do when I turn 30? You know? Mm -hmm. am I, where am I going to be at? And how am I going to look? Mm. So all these were the questions I was thinking, or oh, that was my short-term goal, to survive it, to fight it. Yeah, and but then when it comes down to individuals, like Dr. George mentioned, mm -hmm. in the survivors group, there's a lot of anxiety. Right. There are people going through depression, um, anxiety because they are they are at a very different phase in their lives. They are the same age as their peers, but why are they going through things that in their minds older people are going through, and and their parents are like, don't join support groups. It's not good for you. Uh, it you think about cancer, you talk about cancer, then you get cancer. It's stuff like that. But we, we live in an Asian society. So when we talk about mental health, it really comes hand in hand with the cancer diagnosis. And more so than ever for in the young cancer survivors group, they, they actually bring it up. And the good thing is all of us talk about it very openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for you, Kim, um, from that moment that the BCWA volunteer was right there with you in the hospital, right? Um, in what ways, both tangible and intangible, did BCWA Support Network help you? So I have to rewind back. I was very fortunate because I was made aware of BCWA from my surgeon. Ah. So my surgeon actually asked the patient volunteer to come to my bed after my surgery. Mm -hmm. So she actually gave me a book called Message of Hope. Mm -hmm. So it's a one-on-one -on -one book where you can read and have all your questions answered. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what would you face after chemotherapy? What should you do after surgery? So that's a very important book for us, okay? Mm -hmm. And there will be a stress ball where you need to exercise after your surgery. So after that, you know, they actually told me that, you know, I can join the peer support group, which is actually every third Saturday of the month. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it was actually virtual. So I joined the online, you know, uh, patient support group. So what we do is we will actually tell our experiences. So each of us will tell our experiences and how we feel and what we mm -hmm. we don't like. And, you know, all, all the frustrations will actually come out. But the good thing is no one will judge you. Okay. And it's your venting session. It's a venting <laughs> session, but no one will judge you because... At some point, you just want someone that understands you, who went through the same thing as you, to listen to you, mm -hmm. okay? And if you have any questions, 
you know, you ask, and there's no silly questions mm-hmm. because this is the first time that we are going through it. And there are so many question marks and mm-hmm. there are so many questions we want to ask. Mm-hmm. And But if we actually ask our family or friends, they don't know how to answer you. Right. So even when I was going through my treatment, I could remember one of my family friends actually asked me, why are you going for chemo? Mm. You know, chemo is poisonous. You mm. shouldn't be going for chemo. There are other treatments. I was like, you know, I'm going through chemo and I'm going to survive it, you know. Yes. So I realized that they don't know what to say. They meant good. They yeah. meant well. But that's not the right thing to say. Yeah, and also it can be counterproductive. If you had not gone through that chemo, you might not be here today. Very true. So, you know, sometimes when I visit patients, there are patients that tell me that I don't want to continue my chemo, even after second chemo. There's Mm. a long journey. But this is when the support group actually comes in to, you know, support each other, give each other the assurance and encouragement that you can go through this step by step, day by day. Mm-hmm. I still remember the day that, you know, I have to shave my hair. Mm-hmm. And I told my oncologist before that, I'm okay. I'm okay to go Botox. You know, it won't affect me. Mm. But when the actual day actually came, mm. I actually cried. Yes. And the peer support told me, it's okay. It's okay to cry. Whatever you're going through, it's normal. Yeah. Let it all out. Mm-hmm. But you know what your family will tell you? Why are you crying? Yeah. It's just hair. Yeah. You know, it's different. I thought that I was going to be okay, but it's just not okay. That's when right. every chunk was coming off from my hair, it was so depressing. Yes. And I didn't like the way that I look when I look sick. So I decided to shave it all off and I felt so much, so much better. Yeah. So besides that, what our peer support actually does is individual support too. So we work closely with uh, the surgeons Mm -hmm. and the hospitals and we visit patients right after their surgery, Mm -hmm. Okay, whether it's no adjuvant or adjuvant treatment. And we also, um, our matrons sometimes will visit the patients when their home visit. If they are having difficulty or anything, we can actually visit them or they are not comfortable to see us face to face. Mm -hmm. We can actually give them a call too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even at BCWA, we have a week for loan. So for those who actually lost their hair and they felt that they don't want to purchase a week, they can come to our centre and we can actually loan them a week. And then when they are ready to return it, Mm -hmm. they can just come back to return it. Mm -hmm. Um, Maisie, when you set up the um, Young Adult Survivors Group, I mean, you had to sort of build up something from scratch. Um, so what did you set out to do and um, what kinds of uh, support were you able to provide in those early days? So I'm glad that Claire from NCSM, previously she's uh, from NCSM, now she's not anymore, uh, approached me while she saw me emceeing an event for actually cancer Mm. and she said I think you're very suitable to uh, (laughs) be the youth ambassador for the National Cancer Society I was like hmm I was like I can do I mean I can do it but my criteria is you give me a space and a place to form a young cancer survivors group and she's like that's exactly what I want so because of her um, I was roped into NCSM and they guide me, they gave me guidance on how to form it. So I, when I first formed it, I was lucky because I had outreach on my social media. A lot of the young 
patients were coming to me and asking me oh, a lot of questions. So I reached back out to them and say, why not you join this group mm. that I'm forming? So that's actually how we started. Right. And uh, we started with a few members, but I have to say the first two years were really tough um, because the taboos actually kicked in. Um, I would organize activities and sometimes no one would come. Mm. And I would be like, why? Because it's a great chance for us to meet up, talk to each other in person instead of on WhatsApp mm -hmm. or on video call. But um, basically their parents don't allow them to come. And right. so in a way it's worse, is it, for younger survivors? Yeah. Because their parents still have a say. Mm -hmm. So their parents don't allow them to come because it's a taboo and they don't want them to talk about cancer. But after that, I started doing, why not let me talk to the parents? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I started inviting their parents to come for uh, these activities. Yeah, and great, from great then, idea. yeah, it actually grew. And the peer support grew as well. So now we are about 100 plus people from wow. all over Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Some we have not seen before. They're in Sabah, Sarawak. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we try, but every month or every two months, uh, once every two months, I will organize an activity to get away from cancer. Mm -hmm. So that activity is like, it could be cooking classes, it could be beauty related. And I always thank all the sponsors that that sponsor it because mm -hmm. I try to get it for free because I know the financial implications of their treatments. Yeah. So I want them to be supported otherwise from this uh, point, like from my POV. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, Shall we, you notice that the two approaches from Kim and Maisie are very different as far as how they would like to be supported, right? Okay. Um, Maisie's one, I, I recall, it's all um, kind of like humor. She mentioned quite a few times. And then Kim's side, it's like, you know, that uh, spiritual side of things. That's what I find from some of my patients that sometimes is actually how you approach it uh, can be crucial. And sometimes you might approach it wrongly. For example, an older person, then you approach your humour, might not strike the right chord, right? Yeah. So how do you overcome that sort of like, you know, gauge? Obviously, you know, Maisie has got a PhD in psychology. <laughs> she can gauge it straight away. But Kim, you know, whenever you, um, you know, approach different individuals, that is a very sensitive time for their lives. And when you do it wrongly, it may have counterproductive effect, right? A very good question. That's why we actually went through the three days training uh -huh. to actually understand a bit of psychology to how to approach different patients. And we also have different age group supports. Uh -huh. So if you're at certain age group, we will actually try to match it with the volunteers mm -hmm. that are at that age group. So, you know, we, we come from a very diversified, you know, mm -hmm. culture where, you know, different people have different religions and different beliefs. Yes. We have to be very sensitive yeah. And even though when sometimes when we speak to them and we find that, oh, why are you thinking that way? Okay, right. We can think it in our head, but we don't say it out and we don't judge. Right. Okay. That is, we have to respect them. Yeah. Okay. But we give them the information that they need. And right. if they have any questions, we are always there for them. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the more important part. Sure, sure, mm -hmm. sure. The other part which you mentioned about religion, I find sometimes it can be religion orientated and some people might find it overwhelming. I'm sure there are very, uh, there are quite a few religious organizations try to kind of like emulate what you do as well. How much of a religious element do you have in your organization? Actually, no. None. So one of the things uh, that 
we agree on in our rules is we do not talk about religion, uh, politics, yeah. Yeah. or anything that is not towards the um, patient's needs. Correct. So it's more of what the patients uh, need, you know, for their treatment, for their well-being, for their mental health. Uh, it's a psychosocial support. Yes. So we answered based on that. Sure. Yeah, mm. but we always tell them you need to, if, if you have, you know, your prayers or anything, you have your spiritual belief, okay? Pray and have, you know, faith. Hmm? Maisie, have you found that this kind of peer support space um, can surface questions and information that even though physicians being the key, you know, person providing the, the therapy, even physicians may not be able to sort of provide that kind of information and reassurance? I think like in our group, the reassurance that everyone needs is you've had it too. You know, we understand each other. So uh, sometimes we need more than just one doctor. Mm -hmm. So we always ask, oh, do you know, like, for example, a colorectal surgeon, it could be someone has this and they want to know which doctor. So all of us will support in a way, like we'll give names. And um, that is the support that's needed I think mental health is another one. And the third thing that I see that's recurring is that um, it's actually insurance because a lot of them don't have it. And again, we're at that point of our lives where, mm -hmm. oh, is it first home? You know, first job, first home. Um, sometimes they can't get a job because mm -hmm. they've had cancer. Yeah. So people don't want to accept them. Mm -hmm. So that becomes difficult. How do we help them? Uh, do we uh, provide them headhunters or you know so we support in that way you go to that extent yeah because mm. they, sh they will ask we will see what we can do another way to support is uh, like in terms of insurance a lot of them even myself you can never get insurance after having cancer mm. and also things like buying a house MRTA MRTA also we cannot yeah. acquire mm. so they will always ask questions like that and we provide the information for them and maybe we can provide people who can help them. So that's what we do internally. Mm. Yeah. I mean, interesting you asked that question, Zach, because at the end of the day, as a physician, my priority is looking at cancer clearance and mm. your survival. Yeah. And then as you can see that Maisie's kind of priority is that, you know, um, she want to get rid of that colostomy bag. And then for me, it's like a, a physician will just say, well, now you survive. What else do you want? Kind of attitude. And that itself is not helping her because her quality of life is affected. No matter how much survival she sees in front of her, if she has to live with a colostomy bag and also she's built up a huge amount of debt, that survival means nothing to her. That's right. right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, we will come back to continue the conversation. Um, there is also the aspect of um, access to cancer support groups, you know, do all um, cancer patients and survivors across the country have access, you know, you know, what can they do if they're not in the Klang Valley where most of these services are centred? Um, in the studio with me today, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, together with Kim Lim, President of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia, and Chu Maisie, Youth Ambassador for the National Cancer Society of Malaysia. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik for Doctor in House. Today, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, joining me in the studio. And we have two cancer survivors with us, Chu Meizi, Youth Ambassador for the National Cancer Society of Malaysia, a young adult cancer survivor, and that's why she founded NCSM's Young Cancer Survivors Group as well. And also we have Kim Lim, President of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia, um, relatively um, newly diagnosed, I would say, right? In 2020, wasn't it? That's right. You were diagnosed yeah. um, with breast cancer. And we've been talking about um, their personal journey in going through the cancer diagnosis and treatment and how they turned to peer support and have now chosen to give back um, the same support that they provided. And I'm curious about that, Kim. Um, you went through a difficult time yourself. And very shortly after that, the reason I referenced how relatively recent it was is because it seems like, um, you know, in the blink of an eye, you've turned around and, and, and giving and back, giving back, right? Um, what made you decide to do that? And is it difficult? I think it all started when I was in the hospital, when I was diagnosed after surgery. I was a bit like Maisie, okay? I'm actually more positive. Mm -hmm. If I'm sad, it's only for a day, maybe, <laughs> or two. So my doctor actually brought me to see other patients in the hospital. That's when I started to kind of volunteer. Mm -hmm. So after I completed my treatment, I actually went to BCWA and asked them, what can I do to give back? So they told me, you know, you can actually join the patient volunteer training. So I went for the training and I qualified. So I started my journey and it was very fulfilling because every time I see a patient, it reminds me of my journey, even though it was difficult, but it wasn't that bad. I had insurance. I managed to get all my treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I still managed to get a job after that. Yes. So everything was difficult, but it was okay. It wasn't that bad. So every time I see a patient, you know, it also heals me. You know, when I see them continue with their treatment, they complete their treatment, and then they come and join our activities, and then they live their life. And that gives me back, you know, that kind of fulfillment, and it makes me happy too. Mm -hmm. So after that, I continued to volunteer, and the opportunity came. Okay, so hence I sat in after that and became the president. And it's very fulfilling, I have to say, because I used to be very active in sports. I run, I hike, and I work. So with the NGO itself, it keeps me busy, and mm -hmm. I like to be busy. Yes. And when you are busy, you actually don't think of any problems. <laughs> okay, and when you contribute back to society, it gives you back to happiness. Mm -hmm. So we want to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mizi? What made you decide to give back? So and soon after, you yeah. know, your recovery and everything. And has it been difficult? Because in many ways, you have to keep sort of reliving what was difficult about your own cancer journey. So I guess I'll share here that it hasn't been easy, easy as well after having cancer the first time. So there were subsequent health-related stuff. But until today, it I just, because of the peer support and I also continue to join support groups overseas. It has helped me a lot. The mm -hmm. amount of information that I get mm -hmm. has really, really helped me help others as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess the main reason, like I said, I mentioned earlier, to why this peer support group started is because 
I want not only gave back, but actually the first year, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to tell anyone, but it was actually my close friends around me who knew that said, you have a story to tell. You have to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And that was when I utilized my blog. I wrote about it and that blog became viral. Mm-hmm. It reached out to millions of people. Yes. The website actually crashed when I when yeah I, I posted <laughs> it for a few days. But then the amount of comments that came in from around the world, in Asia especially, was overwhelming. And that was when I felt calling to actually start something. Mm-hmm. So... From then, I started reaching out. I started speaking in Malaysia and Singapore specifically. And um, I also work with different organizations at a mm-hmm. point of time as I have not joined NCSM yet, mm-hmm. only in 2017. So that led me up to my chance meeting with Claire previously from NCSM. Mm-hmm. But now Dr. Sound also supports my endeavor as well as Dr. Morelli. So with their assistance and support, I guess I am giving back mm-hmm. to the young cancer or rather young adults, uh, survivors and patients. So sadly, I would say sadly, because that means it shows that younger people are getting more, I mean, are getting cancer nowadays. Mm-hmm. So every month we will have, I think, at least one or two new members. Mm-hmm. And that is how, I guess, powerful social media is and peer, like peer reference. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. more now because hopefully uh, there's less taboo in yes. uh, speaking up, coming yeah. forward to, to find your tribe as well, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. probably inspired by people like you, Maisie, who have been brave enough to, to sort yeah. of break through those taboos. I, I guess I'm really thankful that um, the people around Mm -hmm. who follow uh, who go on social media they're very supportive and also I'm kind of glad that it has helped a lot of people also to kind of get through it because Mm -hmm. when you are just diagnosed at that age trust me you really don't know what to do (laughs) and for me I was like what does a gastroenterologist do? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also, and behind all that, and young people, like you said, that you're still under the care of your parents. Yeah. If your parents has that taboo, that taboo mm. is passed on to you, right? Yes. So for listeners out there, especially the parents, Maisie will come and get you if you are not <laughs> careful. You instill your thoughts yes. and your prohibitions. Or, or, or also like what Kim was saying, that your well-meaning, um, you know, uh, idealism. Mm-hmm. And then actually is counterproductive in many ways because these are hearsays from your neighbours' neighbours and it's not science, it's right? It's true, yeah. very true. George is feeling that. That's right. <laughs> passionate yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing that I want to ask. Obviously, what you're doing, it's absolutely wonderful. And then the two things, number one, for listeners out there who don't suffer from cancer, they want, they are inspired and they want to help. How can they help? And also, where do you get funding for and you know, from? And then how can, like, you know, donations and also activities um, that actually bring more awareness to the both your organisations? So for Breast Cancer Welfare Association, you can actually follow us on our social media, on Facebook or Instagram, or, you know, can you log on to our website. And yes, we are very fortunate to have generous donors from um, corporates and also individual donors. And we welcome more donors because we are 
you know, a non-profit organisation and all the support that we actually provide, uh, for example, like clinical breast examination for the B40s and women's above uh, 40s are actually FOC, mm-hmm. free of charge. So definitely public fundings are actually very important for us. And if you need any assistance, you can come and visit us. Okay, all information is actually on our website and social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for you, Maisie, you're talking about shelters and children children's home, where does the money come from and how do we sustain this? Corporations yeah. and also generous donors. Right. Uh, so yes, we would. We also welcome public funding. Uh, you can check us out on our website as well as our social media on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I think more importantly, if you're interested to donate, you can uh, donate to NCSM directly and it, there is a payment gateway. But if you would like to donate to the Young Cancer Survivors Group, you can let me know. Yeah, well, I mean, you're doing the work. In addition to that, you also can like, try to get some yeah. drives or funding. It is not an easy task. No. Right? Okay. I'm curious, Maisie, and I want to go back a little bit to when you mentioned through all the support networks, you get a lot of valuable information that you can then use to help other survivors. Can you give me an example of what kind of information you've gotten that has been able to help other young adults overcome those really, it it seems to me almost impossible, like not being able to get insurance anymore, not being able to afford um, things like their first homes and, and buying cars, which young adults would be doing at that age. What, um, you know, what kind of concrete um, help have you been able to help them sort of navigate these kinds of problems? Okay, so the first thing that came to mind was again going back to buying our first home. Mm-hmm. We just had that question pop up. And actually, it's true internally, our own experiences. That was the strength of the support because we, can, we have experienced it, we can give that solid advice. So we know who to call, we know who to pull, like, uh, reference you to. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because, because it's so messy, yes. right? Like, which agency? Yeah. Or which agency, yeah. which insurance, right. or, or can you even get it? Mm-hmm. So what we found out is that uh, below a certain amount, you, can, you, you don't need the MLTA or MRTA uh, or something like that. That's right, yeah. So we didn't even know that, but it was shared by someone else and now everyone knows, yeah. you yeah. see? Yeah. Because it's true first-hand experience That's how we find out from each other. Mm-hmm. So that was, I can, I mean, I would definitely could see the power of peer support in just that one question where everyone then just put in their thoughts and what they've gone through. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's all knowledge sharing, yeah, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And um, not... Not to not to belittle scientific knowledge, but yeah. this is stuff that even you wouldn't be able to answer. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you know, these are things that I I would like to know for the benefit of my patients as yeah. well. That's because right. you know, the more people who shares it, and this is wonderful things about youth is that all that information can be shared within seconds yeah. and yes. then through the same platforms, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, one question that looks sort of like the bigger picture of cancer support groups and whether they're accessible for everyone in Malaysia, you know, especially those who are in the further reaches, those who are from lower income, living outside of the Klang Valley. Um, from both your perspectives, um, what do you do to ensure that sort of as many people as possible can be reached? 
So when we actually go out to do outreach with our mobile clinic, Muruni, we actually go to a, from urban to rural areas. So when we actually go to the rural areas, we actually pass them the leaflets. So they can actually contact us by WhatsApp, okay, or the social media. But sometimes at the rural area, it's very difficult when there's no internet access. That's the most difficult mm-hmm. part. So we have to work with the penghulu. Okay, the penghulu is actually very important. Mm. So the penghulu will actually give them guidance, okay, with the pamphlets because our pamphlets come in different languages: English, uh, Bahasa, and Mandarin, so that they could understand. So they can share the information to them, and if they found that there's any suspicious, you know, lumps or anything, they know where to go to the nearest hospitals, especially the public hospitals. That's mm-hmm. very important. So we try to move as much as we can to reach as much people as we can. But sometimes, as you said, there's always limitation within the reach, within the funding, within the people that we have to go out to do the work. Mm-hmm. But you go outside of Selangor and KL? Yes, we, we go actually all around Malaysia except uh, to the East Malaysia because the mobile clinic can't travel to East Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. But we do have, you know, um, support group at different places. So it's very important that all NGOs come and work together towards mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about NC? CSM, so NCSM also provides outreach, uh, like actually during the vaccination, they provide outreach to outskirts of Malaysia and within the villages as well. So that's how they provide more information on cancer. And um, funded by some corporations, they also are able to give screenings uh, at villages. And in terms of uh, myself and the Young Cancer Survivors Group, we utilize social media a lot mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that is the only way in a way to reach out to people in other states yeah borderless la. yeah but do you get um enough people from other states uh, that shows you that you are reaching them so we do have a few mo- um, in Sabah and Sarawak and uh, quite a few in Penang Ipoh we call the northern side uh southern not as much I would think but Funny enough, uh, we actually have um, peer support. I mean, like people who want to join us from Singapore as well. You're yeah, right, okay. Mm, yeah, well, one up on yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I can say is that, you know, we started the show saying it's tomorrow is Chinese New Year. And then we thought that some people might just kind of like, a, you know, get a bit pantang and switch off the, the program, you know, from the moment they hear cancer. But truly two words to describe both individuals in this uh, studio today. One is positive. Positivity, and the second one is resilience. I think those two words definitely, if you missed this show, you missed out one of these spirits, right? Okay. I mean, you know, one of the things that tomorrow we venture into the year of dragon, right? Okay. And then there's one Chinese words that people, Chinese phrase that people wish for. It's just like a long ma jing sen. It's like, you know, the spirit of a dragon and the horse. I tell you, these two young individuals <laughs> here true. definitely have the spirit of long ma jing sen. I wish you both wonderful uh, year ahead and also keep up with the great work that you're doing. Yeah, And uh, just to wrap up, I'd like to um, get each of you to just, um, what would you want to ask for? Because even today, patients' voices are still very much hidden. So what is your wish for the new Dragon Year on behalf of the um, patients and survivors that you represent? What would you like to ask for for them? For our side, and um, I think for a lot of all cancer patients, we wish that, you know, insurance will be accessible to us. That's very 
very important because with insurance, you know, the public sector will not be burdened and more people can actually assess the treatment in the private sector too. And Maisie? Uh, representing the young cancer survivors and patients, uh, we would like to ask that um, don't shun us because we have cancer. Don't deem us as weak. Uh, we hope that you don't uh, not hire us because we have had cancer. And also, again, also for insurance, we hope that there will be a policy that covers us as cancer patients as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and George for joining me in the studio today. We've been speaking to Kim Lim, President of the Breast Cancer Welfare Association Malaysia and Chu Meizi, Youth Ambassador for the National Cancer Society of Malaysia. And of course, wishing all our listeners a very happy Chinese New Year. Share something, George, for our listeners. <laughs> oh, I guess it's just to everyone, Long Martin Sun, right? That's right. <laughs> this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.